welcome back to Hospice More Than Morphine. I hope everybody's having a great day. I took today off just for some extra relaxation and, you know, Memorial Weekend. So having a four-day weekend, we need that, you know? So I wanted to pop on today basically because I'm doing some research um, for next couple topics that I'd like to talk about and I was looking more into you know part of the reason of doing this podcast is recognition of hospice and what's involved um, just bringing recognition for you know the whole thing of hospice in general so you know I wanted to kind of look up some statistics about you know, the studies of hospice and palliative care in medical school and nursing school. Back in 2000, I graduated with my LPN, and we maybe briefly discussed end of life, briefly knew nothing really as far as like um, hospice goes, but, you know, just about dying patients. And I think we spent maybe, I don't re- really remember, maybe an hour or so. And then when I graduated with my RN in 2008, kind of the same thing. We did not discuss really much at all on end of life. So then again, in 2017, when I graduated with my family nurse practitioner, we maybe briefly discussed end of life. Um, Palliative was not discussed really in LPN or RN school for myself. And in nurse practitioner school, we may have briefly discussed the difference between palliative care and hospice, but it was nothing, you know, like it really should be. So I was kind of trying to look at some statistics for nursing school and medical school to see what is out there. And to not be surprised, there's really not a whole lot out there. Um, I searched and searched and, you know, there's some statistics from back in, you know, um, 2013, but I really wanted to look at more up-to-date things. And I wasn't really able to find much. But in my search, I did find there is a Palliative Care and Hospice Education and Training Act. So it is um, a bill that was put through to the House back in 2019, I believe is what it said. And um, as it went forth up into the Senate... It basically was stopped. I mean, it, it, it went nowhere further from there. So I just learned that it was recently reintroduced. Uh, I believe it was just a few weeks ago. But the point of this act is to improve the education that is out there, the training education that is out there for physicians, you know, um, well, I shouldn't say physicians, I guess it's, it's medical students, nursing students, um, 
you know, to make sure that they are getting that as part of their uh, training when they are in school. So as I'm looking through everything, I come across um, where I, f- I found that the focus of, I guess I should say first, the focus of this bill is um, workforce training. So it states that it ensures that they have education centers, curricula, and teachers to expand interdisciplinary training in, in palliative and hospice care and establish programs to attract and retain providers. That's one. Two is education awareness. Share resources and information to ensure that patients, families, and health professionals are informed about the benefits of palliative care and the services that are available to support patients with serious or life-threatening illness. And the third is to enhance research. So to use existing authorities and funds to expand palliative care research to advanced clinical practice and improve care delivery for patients with serious or life-threatening uh, illnesses. So it's been reintroduced. So when I come back and I look and I found this website called Personhood Alliance, and it is actually a group of people that are trying to stop this bill from being passed. Um, now, this was dated back in 2019 from when the bill was, in, you know, in originally was happening. And as I'm reading through some of these things that they are saying about palliative care and hospice, I am truly and honestly just floored. I, I, I see now why this is so important for me to do this podcast, because there are just so many misconceptions and so many, um, the just the views of of what people think i am just taken back so before i kind of get into some of these statements um i'd like to go back to this um palliative uh, care and hospice education and training act so i found a um nice um kind of brief overall of the act, and it's through the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine. So I just kind of want to briefly explain what it kind of says here. So, you know, obviously the background, you know, with palliative care, it's improved quality of life. It enhances patient and family satisfaction with care and controls costs for the rapidly expanding population of individuals with serious illness or multiple chronic conditions. So before I continue, I just want to kind of explain the difference between hospice and palliative care. So palliative care is really kind of a brief overall, and it's meant to assist and help people with symptom management of chronic conditions or serious conditions that they may have. Now, continuing with palliative care, you can also continue with, you know, aggressive treatment, such as if you have cancer and you're doing chemo radiation, you can continue with those types of treatments. Hospice is a type of palliative care, 
with those restrictions that I talked about in a previous episode. Well, not restrictions. It's eligibility criteria, one being a prognosis of six months or less. So palliative care does the same thing as hospice with managing symptoms with the hope of giving the patient a better quality of life. So basically, the bill is to um, help ensure an adequate, appropriately, appropriately trained workforce is available to provide the pain and symptom management, intensive communication, and level of care coordination that addresses the episodic and long-term nature of serious and complex chronic illnesses. So bill summary, it kind of breaks it down a little bit, which is nice to palliative care and hospice education centers um, to improve the training of the interdisciplinary team in palliative care, and then to develop and disseminate curricula relating to palliative care, you know, to support the training and the continuing education, you know, provide students with clinical training to appropriate sites that they can go to, um, you know, and this is for, you know, advanced education, nursing degrees, social work, um, physician's assistants, you know, this is to provide traineeships for those um, physician trainings, you know, where it will authorize grants and contracts to schools of medicine, teaching hospitals and graduate medical education programs to train physicians, which would include like the residents and fellows, you know, who plan to teach palliative medicine. Um, such programs, you know, provide training in palliative medicine through rotations and consult services. Um, you know, the programs will be required to develop specific performance-based measures to evaluate the competencies then of, you know, the trainees. Um, you know, academic career awards is part of this bill as well. Establishes a program to promote the career development of physicians who are board certified or board eligible in, in hospice and palliative care and, you know, have, um, um, eligibility uh, individuals, you know, to assure a full-time fac- faculty. Um, so basically, a lot of the the fellows that um, are specific for hospice and palliative care, um, you know, for so developing those programs, you know, to provide that training that is needed. Um, same thing with the nurses, you know, to create special preferences and existing nursing education law for hospice and palliative care, um, you know, education and practice and quality grants, um, nurse retention projects, you know, there's um, also the enhanced research. So then it can direct the National Institutes of Health to use existing funds to expand their research on palliative um, in hospice care for serious or life-threatening illnesses, um, you know, and then just to spread the awareness in ways, I guess, kind of how I am right now. You know, it's it's a multitude of different things, but the biggest point is getting that education out there so you're already knowledgeable about it versus being out there and having no clue. I have seen so 
much of not understanding end of life. I mean, it's inevitable that it's the one thing that is going to happen to every single person on this earth that we are going to die at some point. And so the whole point of palliative care is to help provide the best quality of life that you have until that time comes. You know, if you are at a state where you have a chronic condition that is always going to need some type of symptom management at some point, you know, like for instance, Parkinson's disease, you may not be eligible for hospice necessarily where you have that six months or less prognosis, but it is a chronic condition that you are going to have to live with for years and years and years and years and years. So palliative care can come into play to help manage any of those symptoms that come along with just having that Parkinson's disease in general. Now, I'm just saying Parkinson's because it was the first thing that came off the top of my head, but there's many, many, many other chronic conditions that can be helped. So in saying that, um, I'm not one that likes to call out, you know, different people or whatever. I mean, obviously, everybody has the right to their own opinion, their own judgment on things. But I feel like there's not many um, things that, you know, you, you obviously research, I guess what I'm trying to say is you obviously research what your opinion is, you're going to do more research into what that looks like, you know, but I'm not one of them. I like to kind of look to see why people kind of feel the way they do. You know, what are your fears revolved around it? Can we talk about it? You know, um, but some of the statements that I was reading, uh, for instance, I'm just going to read um, one of them here that basically states um, that palliative care is basically used as a rationing tool. Um, you know, so basically they are hastening someone's death and making it look like it's glorious. So um, they gave an example here of where palliative care has become more deadly and dangerous. So it's, I guess it was a practicing attorney who advocates for the elderly disabled and seen a case where um, there was a widow in Northwest Wisconsin who became forgetful. She moved into an assisted living facility where her children thought she would be safer. The staff soon complained about her constant shouting and said they needed more help. So her family agreed to hospice for the extra help, not because she was terminal. Ten days later, she was dead after being drugged to unconsciousness. Before that, she was walking and talking and knew who she was and who other people were. She could carry on conversation. So why all the, that shouting? The staff had lost her hearing aids. So they gave a few other examples and they put specifics in here. So they put um, at Mount Carmel Health Systems, um, which they state houses a well-known regional palliative care education center, 
A doctor was charged with 25 counts of homicide for ordering huge doses of fentanyl to be given to 25 palliative care patients. The healthcare system acknowledged that at least five of them could have survived with treatment. Another says to maximize profits, the director of Novus Health Services regularly directed nurses to make hospice patients, in quotes, go bye-bye with drug overdoses. Faculty from several universities said clinical practices in palliative medicine regularly shorten lives. In one study, I guess they found 39% of physicians and nurses said they intended to shorten survival with medications and treatment withdrawals. A survey of over 100 hospice and palliative care physicians revealed that 45% would sedate patients to unconsciousness who were not actively dying and then withhold food and fluids until they died. One-fourth of them said it did not matter how long the patient had to live. So they begin or they continue to to state that the National Association of Pro-Life Nurses said that their members are seeing unethical practices as a terminal sedation with withdrawal, withholding of food, water, and critical medicines, and voluntarily stopping of eating, drinking, and even spoon feeding, etc., now being called palliative comfort or routine hospice care. Um, so, you know, obviously they back some of this stuff up with, you know, different links and stuff that you can go to. Um, but they also have this little blurb in here too, where it says, um, Dr. Far Curlin, a palliative medicine specialist at Duke University describes the situation this way. Many patients and their families don't trust hospice and palliative medicine and are resistant to it. I encounter such individuals in the hospital and in the community among people of all walks of life and social strata, but particularly among ethnic minorities and members of religious communities. These individuals tell stories about loved ones and who what loved ones who have declined slowly over time, fighting the good fight with the support and companionship of their family members and friends. When hospice palliative medicine professionals become involved in their care, their loved ones were put on powerful drugs, became unconscious and unresponsive, and were soon dead. These stories are clearly shared within communities and powerful powerfully shaped people's perceptions of hospice palliative medicine, which many see as sophisticated and seductive way of getting people to die. So (laughs) I am just in awe. I I just, I don't even really know what to say. I mean, I'm on a podcast here talking and I just don't know what to say. I am just... I guess I never really looked into a lot of things as far as this, you know, um, but to see these words to me are pretty hurtful because they really do not have the education. And are there bad seeds out there? Absolutely. You are going to find those that, you know, um, are going to make everything else look bad. It's like that no matter what area or whatever you're doing. As I said, you know, everybody has the right to their own opinion. Um, you know, so 
I'm not going to bash anybody or, you know, say they're 100% wrong. All I'm going to say is, is that I don't have enough information revolved around these examples that they give to really tell you that they are inaccurate, accurate, you know, it is, again, their opinion. Just like anything else in this world that we deal with, there's always two sides to every story. And it's nothing different when you talk about hospice and palliative care, you know. And obviously, it's a very touchy subject, you know, because us as healthcare, we are taught to cure. And, you know, when you stop all aggressive treatment, then it's looked at as a failure. And it's looked at as you giving up, which, you know, truly isn't the case. Um, You know, but when you're at a certain point in your life with chronic conditions, and, you know, you're looking at multiple hospital stays, and you're looking at just your quality of life in general, even if you're not in the hospital, you know, I mean, are you enjoying your life? Then if you are, continue doing that. You know, I mean, great for you. And that's amazing. You know, but if you look at your overall condition, do you think that you're that you have quality of life? Um, You know, if you're questioning that, Think about what does that look like? What do you want your life to be? Nobody can answer that question but you. You know, hospice and palliative care is just there to to help and assist you with whatever your goals are. It's not our goals, you know. I mean, I have my own goals for what I want to do, um, you know. But talking about death needs to happen you need to decide if you have the capability of doing so to figure out what that looks like for you you know do you have a chronic condition a serious illness like parkinson's heart failure multiple sclerosis copd um, cancer even, um, you know, end stage Alzheimer's disease and it dementias, you know, think about those type of chronic conditions that aren't going away. There's no cure for those. And there's always symptoms associated with those. Does it mean that you need hospice? Not necessarily. Does it mean that you need palliative care? Maybe not, you know, but what is the harm in in finding out what is out there to to help you live that better quality of life that you want? Um, do you enjoy just sitting in the house and just, I don't know, doing whatever you want to do? I mean, you don't necessarily have to get out and about and do things. Other people enjoy that stuff, um, you know, but whatever it is that you may find enjoyment in, you're no longer able to enjoy those things. Is that a quality of life? Okay. If not, then why? Why are you no longer able to enjoy those things? And 
if you want to attempt to enjoy those things, you have two options. You have aggressive treatment where you can try to fix whatever the problem may be. If there's no fixing, which most of the time there's not, it's just that band-aid that's being put over that's temporary, then why not have symptom management where you get those symptoms relieved of whatever's causing you to not be able to enjoy that particular activity or is stopping you from having that quality of life that you want so badly and, you know, be a part of your own care to decide what it is that looks like and have those symptoms managed. That is what palliative care is about. And I'm not here to try to change your mind. If you're coming on here just to see the other side and you're somebody that doesn't agree with palliative care, okay, I mean, I hope that you get something out of this, you know, but... um I always suggest and will always say to please do your research on both ends, you know, and to reach out and talk to as many people as you can. And even if it is both sides, you know, write the pros and cons down of everything because, you know, I don't think it's 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 fair to just always be one-sided with something. And even if that means you're more leaning toward the side that you already initially wanted, you know, that's okay. But, you know, um, I truly was just astounded, honestly, by these words that I seen. Um, And it does hurt because I have such a passion for palliative and hospice care. Does that mean that I want to hasten somebody's death? No, absolutely not. Have I had family members that have been on palliative care, hospice? Yes. Have I had family members that weren't ready for it? Yes. All of the above. You know, I mean, you have to take each situation and make it individualized. Not every case is going to be the same. So what this person may need is going to be something totally different from what the other person may need. So I'm just going to wrap things up here. And, you know, obviously um, I am on the hospice and palliative side of things and I always will be and will continue to do the best I can to educate um, on what I know and my clinical experience and, you know, go on from there. So please feel free to send me an email, um, you know, if you want to discuss anything with me or if you have um, feelings one way or the other about, you know, what I discussed here today. This is not an easy subject to talk about for a lot of people, so I'm hopeful that I can help in any way possible to get people to open up to talk more about it. So um, I hope you guys all enjoy your weekend. And as always, thank you so much for jumping on and listening to this episode and my podcast in general. So have a great day. I love and appreciate you all. Mm